Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. LR here with Benji for the much-anticipated awards show. We're breaking this into two parts. The season... World Tour season is finished, so Japan Cup, Lankawi, I apologize, but we don't think results from there will move the needle here. Two parts. The first will be best lead out, sprinter, puncher, and cobbler. The best in 2022, the best TT riders, uh, GC riders, domestiques, and one other category will follow in a second episode because we want to yeah make sure we have enough time to fill up these categories as always this show is presented by Zwift and the women's awards will be a separate podcast of course so we'll have in fact three awards podcasts most likely uh Lorena Vibus doesn't leave much to discussion in one of those categories <laughs> but the first and we're doing it as the best sprinter of 2022 so yeah Whatever that means means to you, we'll leave it up for discussion. I think it was whoever was the best in 2022. And it's a little bit more open this year, some of the categories. But in terms of, um, in terms of lead out, we have not necessarily the last man, although usually it's the last man who gets this award. It could also be someone like Sinkledam for FDJ. He's the second last man or even a setup man like Alex Kirsch on Trek. Was he really valuable for Pedersen in the Vuelta when they didn't have turns or Sturvin? Um, but who are your honorable mentions in the lead out category, Benji? I think the names I was looking at was the likes of a Jasper de Beuys, maybe not at the highest level, but he did it for Arnold Ali in those 1.1 races where Ali was really strong. A Jasper Steven at the Tour de France. But like you mentioned, we're talking about the top-level races. A Kirsch for Peterson at the Vuelta. Those are mentions that are possible. A Sinkeldam at the Giro. And also the two of the bigger ones, I think, for me, which is uh, Christophe Laporte and Danny Van Poppel. But if I go over these riders, then I would argue that when I look at the likes of Jasper Steven, yes, his leadouts. I think there was one good leadout in stage two of the Tour de France where Peterson ends up going really early. But Steven is not necessarily the rider I think of when I think about, oh, this is the best leadout of 2022 because it's so minimal the amount of times that we see him doing these leadouts. And they're not always perfect either. And when it comes to the bust, it's not on the highest level. So those two fall out of the, the top for me in this. You want to ask Ricard, the rider that last year would have been top notch on my list, was injured this year for the majority. So he can't be competing for this trophy. A Milano, yeah, wonderful lead out if you want your lead out to win, but not if you want your sprinter to win. So he falls out of the category for me as well. And an interesting name that I haven't mentioned too much is Mikel Merku. Like, what happened to Mikel Merku after 2022? He had a DNS at the Giro after getting sick, I think. I recall that he was planning to leave that Giro anyway, but he was gotten out earlier because of an illness otl at the tour de france after that 
look what looked like also an illness as well. And next to that, when he was doing leadouts, like at the intermediates at the Tour de France, they weren't necessarily the best leadouts, as in he didn't have the energy to bring Jakobsen up lay towards the last part of that intermediate, for example, to get Jakobsen right. But I will say, despite the Tour de France not being good enough and the other races around that not necessarily being the best leadouts, I would still argue that his leadouts at the Giro, like in Balaton Fudet, for example, stage three, were good. I do think that Cavendish was left off the front early. So, I don't know. Merku was not perfect this year. Last year, he was by far the best lead out in my eyes. This year, he was not. And um, I would argue that he's not in my top three. I feel like the Jakobs and Merku chemistry didn't work out as much as the Bennett Merku chemistry in the second year of their cooperation last year. Do you agree that he's not in the top three of this? Yeah, I mean, when you see this year an intermediate sprints getting dropped, like he couldn't even bring forward Jakobsen. Um, I don't really, he never really brought Jakobsen forward. In the Danish stages, Jakobsen was just on the wheel of Van Aert mm-hmm. and won. And then stage three, Jakobsen was just missed the corner and Merku Merku was on the front actually that was kind of Jakobsen's fault but even so if Jakobsen was on the wheel he would have been left there too early yeah I think we didn't see like the dominant lead outs of last year and it was the younger guys Danny Van Poppel and Christophe Laporte who almost took the Merku level lead outs to another level where they surged from the back really late, particularly Van Poppel did, bring his guy from sixth wheel at huge speed, particularly in the Vuelta with Bennett. And they just have to almost keep the speed up and they can't lose. And so when I'm thinking of best leader, I'm thinking who who made their sprinter, I mean, win more races than they would have otherwise. Like... Lionel Tamino, I don't think, made Jasper Philipson win any more races than he would have, um, even though he was occasionally doing the last man, last man duties. Mezgets, we see, kind of disappear from this category completely as well. I don't even know who Groenewegen's last man was uh, this year. So I think it's pretty clear cut uh, for one and two. Third mm-hmm. is difficult. Third is difficult between a single dam who was good in just sort of second last man duties for uh, Demar in the Giro and uh, Kirsch. When it comes to single dam, we do need to mention that Guarnieri was nowhere in that Giro, which led to the two stage wins where Demar ends up winning. That single dam was the last man in those two stages. I checked back True. a bit earlier, and that does say to me that perhaps he does have that last man duty? Or would you say that those Giro level sprints, there were no really, I think there was a few good sprints when it comes to Merku doing a good lead out for Cavendish there in week one. But outside of that, I'd argue there was no team that really took it on and really had it in that Giro, which might've given a single them and Demar a bit more compared to what would have happened at a UAE tour or a Tour de France level lead out situation. Because that's where Danny Van Poppel, for example, really struck like at UAE you were saying okay Danny Van Poppel might be the best lead out in the world and we weren't even at the Vuelta yet where he did those two wonderful lead outs for Bennett he did multiple other lead outs throughout the season like Ronde van Lemberg that sprint where where Danny Van Poppel did that crazy lead out and ended up beating Sam Bennett on the line <laughs> like that's situations where 
you see that the sprinter makes the lead out look bad. That's happened so much throughout the years where a lead out can be doing such good lead outs, but the sprinter, Bennett in this occasion, was not at the level to actually make it happen. And therefore, it kind of looks like the lead out didn't do his job properly. But Danny Van Poppel had a crazy season. He's indeed in that top three for me. Shall we go to uh, lining up the top three? Because, like, do you think the Danny Van Poppel versus Laporte situation is controversial? Do you think it's close nah, on your end? I think it's clearly Van Poppel um, because I really don't recall him making a significant mistake. I would say Laporte made a pretty big mistake on the third stage of the Tour de France when he went to the outside of Mercu when he should have gone to the inside and Mercu pulled off. It detached Van Aert from his wheel and Van Aert ended up losing a photo finish. So the that cost the Tour de France stage win. And I would say Van Poppel was doing almost the opposite. Like, I mean, Van Aert, we see sometimes struggles in the small group sprints. Was he doing better in those Tour de France sprints, mainly because of Laporte or with Laporte's help? Yes, Laporte helped. Paranese, when Jakobsen beat Wout in that uh, sprint easily, Laporte's lead-out was insane. But Van Poppel, just UAE Tour and UAE Tour of Vuelta, and then the lead-out for Jakobsen in the, in the European Championships has to be counted too. He was just unbelievable. So I'm giving him a clear edge over Laporte, who was very, very good, but just you know, a, a pride, a proud second. Third, I, I'm still struggling. I still struggle between a Kirsch Thurvan, uh, a Sinkle Dam, and because the boys, I, I can't give it to anyone on Lotto. I'm sorry, but there's a lot of I can't do it. Uh, I think. I think I will give it to um, oh, who was – I can't remember who the Intermarché guy was, but I think I will give it to Kirsch because – um, I no. know Pozzo did lead out. Bardet for Dainese. Yeah, they did it. Um, Darnul was good at Trek as well, but I'm going to give it to Kirsch, uh, which might okay. be a bit unfair to single down. It might be recency bias, but – I'm stretching the definition of lead out a little bit, uh, but I think Kirsch was instrumental in setting up sprint, sprint victories this year, um, not just in the Vuelta. So I'm giving Kirsch third. Okay, an understandable top three. I've got a different one, as in I have Sinkledum in the third spot. I believe that without Sinkledum, the Mar probably doesn't take those zero stages because the positioning that he was put in is really strong. That being said, I do have to say that the Mar was good at the Giro in general, like he was on level again. And we look at Laporte versus Van Poppel, and I agree with your, your remarks when it comes to that. Van Poppel made no real mistakes throughout the season. Laporte made a few throughout the season. But on the opposite end, Laporte also took a lot more on his plate. So while I put Van Poppel on number one, I'd argue that I have Laporte a bit closer to Van Poppel because Laporte has been a bit more versatile in having to spend his energy and was still there when he needed to be on those sprint stages. Yes, I think that when it comes to Van Aert as a sprinter, we'll discuss the sprinters in a tiny bit, but he's also the kind of sprinter where in those early stages in Denmark, for example, Laporte is the one that puts him in the position at the front, which makes it so that Ward Van Aert just needs to protect his position that he's in compared to the other sprinters. And that's how he gets second on those stages. He doesn't have the acceleration to outsprint the Phillips in head-to-head, for example, in my opinion. That's my take on the lead-outs. But hey, we agree on Danny Van Poppel. We agree on Laporte second. 
We have a slight disagreement on the third spot, but we both cherish Sinkledum and Alex Kirsch. So uh, that's the lead out to Norrent. Anybody else with opinions can drop them on Twitter at us or in the comment section of these YouTube videos, of course, because uh, your opinion is valid as well. I'll be interested to see who do you think backs it up next year? I think Sinkledam probably ages and on his side. Yeah. I think I think Van Poppel's just going to do it again. Um, yeah. It's going to be hard to knock him off. Uh, and Kirsch is good too. He might even... And again, we're not counting... I didn't count at least Laporte doing uphill lead outs for Wout to attack. Uh, I'm talking sprints only. Yeah. And the question is also, well, like, what if uh, Yumbo sends Nolov Koi to the Giro? What lead-out will he have? Will he have the likes of a Mick van Dijk or something leading him out? A Timo Rosen? Will that lead-out be viable to put himself in a situation where he's mentioned next year in this award show? It's possible, eh? Well, we'll mention him in a second, Olav Koy, I think. Uh, but before we get to the best sprinters, I wanted to check in with Benji on how his... Uh, his weight loss journey is going, how his Zwifting is going. We're in autumn now. Um, we're firmly in Zwift season. We've got, I think, Zwift Academy's heating up at the moment. But yeah, how's it going uh, on your end, Benji? Pretty great, actually. I think uh, last year in November was when I set the goal for myself. I want to lose 10 to 15 kilograms in the next year. And we are now a solid 11 months further and I've lost about 20 to 25 kilos. So I've extended, expanded on my goal significantly. I'm currently at a point where I'm happy with the weight that I'm at, but I will try and reduce that even more over the last, uh, well, over the next couple of months and at a gradual tempo. I don't necessarily want to instantly drop 10 kgs, but Zwift has been essential in delivering me that because I'm the kind of guy that needs like a certain time in the day. And sometimes that time is at midnight and at midnight I'm saying, okay, I want to jump on Zwift and not exactly the the time to go outdoor cycling so that's why zwift has been so vital for me in this uh weight loss journey because i can do it whenever i want and i don't necessarily need to spend 30 minutes getting all my clothes on just the bibs on and my my cycling shoes and i can get rolling on zwift that's my uh that's my uh, history there so far but i've been enjoying it what on your end uh well in australia i haven't had my trainer so i'm going back to andorra on tuesday this episode will probably be out by then and then i'm embarking on a six-week boot camp um so i'm doing the opposite of benji and i'm just doing a crash crash boot camp uh trying to get in shape before tdu which is fast approaching uh so yeah zwift is gonna be pretty important with that i've looked at the temperatures where i live in the mornings and um yeah it's it's swift time for sure and again you've got a lot of stuff on even in the off season swift will be uh essential in uh yeah just keeping on track of or starting that weight loss journey proper but best sprinter of 2022 we have some honorable mentions of tim Melier, who had a down season Pedersen, who failed in his main sprint targets at the tdf but then won a break stage but that doesn't count for these purposes he did win uh sort of reduced sprints in the vuelta very versatile Dali uh had a fantastic season as a neo pro but didn't win a world tour race uh, we've got Van Aert, who was consistent, seconds, thirds galore in World Tour sprints, but not sure he, not sure he won a World Tour sprint uh, this year. Uh, stage one in the Dauphiné, what was that? 
that was kind of an uh, reduced. Uh, we'll we'll count it. We'll count that one reduced ish <laughs> print. Um, so yeah, it's again. I think a top two of Philipson and Jakobsen Benji, who were hard to pair apart. Is there any any honourable mentions or third spots that you'd like to dive into a little bit more? Are we is one is Walvanar being discredited because he missed out on a few photo finishes? Not necessarily, I'd say. I believe that a lot of Wout sprinting at the end of Tour de France stages was because he was in the perfect position at the start of a sprint. He does not have that head-to-head acceleration against the Philipson to beat them when they're both in a competitive position. That's when a Philipson comes out and is a better one. That's when a Jakobsen is better towards a Wout But we also got to mention Caleb Ewan. Like, we've mentioned him last year. In this same awards discussion, he was the fastest sprinter on paper, but couldn't deliver because his team couldn't place him in a competitive spot. This year, I'd argue that, first of all, his team couldn't place him in a competitive spot. He had multiple crashes throughout the Giro, a crash throughout throughout the Tour de France as well. And next to that, he was beaten head-to-head by other sprinters on multiple occasions, like by Jakobsen at Bovel Stadenronde and Kürne Brussels Kürne. So, no, was it Brüggepanne? Jakobsen fucking torched him, dude. Ewan yeah. was in the wheel too. Exactly. So he's not necessarily the fastest sprinter on paper, either if you consider that situation occurring multiple times in the season. So I'd argue that Caleb Ewan is the big loser of this award show when it comes to his sprinting, because on paper he was one of the stronger sprinters in the past, if not the strongest at the past. But this year, I have a hard time putting him up there, and especially next to a Philipson and Jakobsen who have delivered, a Mark Cavendish who hasn't necessarily had the race opportunities at the highest level like UAE Tour and a Tour de France sprint to be able to display that. At the Giro, he had a stage win, but he also didn't deliver in some other stages there necessarily. Milano Torino, he did end up winning, but that was against not necessarily the best sprinters in the world. I don't know. His best sprint was still that. Saudi Tour sprint? Was it Saudi Tour at the start of the year? It was, Mark Cavendish? I think Oman. Yeah. I think Oman against Kaviria. Um, he, yeah. I think, I, I want to go into bat for Cav a little <laughs> bit here. I think Cav, you can't look at the second half of this season, and I guess I'm being generous, and listen, it's the awards show. I'm going to bend the facts to suit <laughs> the outcome I want and the story and narrative I want. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to do right now. Listen, Cav should have gone to the Tour. We all know that. It's now after the Tour is finished. I mean, how many times in the last year has Jakobsen pretended like his Shimano trains dropped, like in a, in a sprint or missed a corner? Like, it can't be dropping that much, Fabio. You should already be in the big ring. You just you got dropped by Seneschal of Welter. Cav, again, I would have taken the most ridiculous. I would have taken Cav, but in the Grande Par, I think I've said this before, he's not allowed to contest the sprint. At 10 Ks to go, he has to go back to the um, vehicle. Jakobsen gets those first two, and then he comes into play in the later Carcassonne stages, which Philipson won, which Jakobsen couldn't get around the course with any decent legs. And then did Jakobsen, did he fake a mechanical on the Champs-Élysées stage, or he had one? I'm going to be generous to Jakobsen today because I want to bend the facts and make sure that it fits my <laughs> narrative of the story. And therefore, I'd say that Jakobsen did not fake a mechanical on the okay, Champs-Élysées because I have no then. clue. 
Possibly. Oh, no, sorry, you did have a mechanical. I'm saying you had bad legs. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was agreeing with you for a second there. But I also want to add Olaf Goy, which is a sprinter we haven't spoken about necessarily in the sprinting discussion here. And Dylan Grunewagen, those are two Dutch sprinters that have been performing quite well this year, but very um, opposite ends of their career as well. Grunewagen, stage three at the Tour de France victory. I think, actually, I think that was the one sprint where he had a rider from Bike Exchange that last minute brought him on the side of the peloton towards the front and then put him in a position where he could at least compete and Grunewagen had to worm himself towards the actual front and then Grunewagen was able to sprint for it and still won that sprint. So a very strong sprint there by Dylan Grunewagen. I'd argue that he's still one of the fastest sprinters in the world with not necessarily the best lead out surrounding him. Had in some occasions a good lead out. I will add that though, but I'd argue not the best in the world when it comes to his lead outs and not the best sprinter in the world for me either. Olaf Goy didn't ride the craziest races, but he did ride at high level, like Tireno, UAE. Those are top sprints. Podium three times in those two races. Won numerous races throughout the season that were lesser. So 1.0 Pro races or 1.1 races. But that doesn't necessarily say anything outside of the fact that he beat Jasper Philipsen twice in the last three months, which in this year where Philipsen is of such a high level, is valuable? Or would you say that a Philipsen has been very strong at the best races, but not necessarily consistent at the 1.1 races. I think maybe a little bit less important for him than the ones that, because last year, right, he didn't win yeah. the tour, a tour stage. And then he came after the tour. He's like, I better win some races. <laughs> um, I, I could be, you know, who knows? Maybe just got lucky, but I don't know. I mean, Philipson, serious guy. I think, again, third is really hard to, I'll go through my list now. Third, I have Cavendish as best oh. third best sprinter in 2022. He won two World Tour sprints, pure bunch sprints. One is the Grand Tour stage. He got sold lead-out wise in the Giro, absolutely sold. If he had Demar's lead-out, he would have won another one. UAE Tour was against serious guys, and his sprint was 300 metres in the wind. Beat Philipson, beat Demar, ridiculous sprint. And Torino, he won a one-day race as well. And then... You know, after the tour, he, he honoured Britain and then sort of, I think, packed it up. Oh, no, he came second in some Belgian race recently. That's, that's unfair to him. But I'm putting him third just because the other contenders are Demar and Groenewegen, right? And mm-hmm. Demar won how many Giro stages did Demar win? Three. Oh, fuck, that's three, yeah. <laughs> no, Polonia stage. That's tough. No, I'm going to go against him um, just because... Uh, I got in trouble for saying that he was unfair last year for cr- first saying that riders are taking caffeine pills and it's unfair when he had a down year in his book and then he came back this year and won three Grand Tour stages. So I'm going against him. I'm going Cavendish and then people can say it's British bias because they don't know where I'm from. Um, no, but I do believe Cavendish was at his peak this year better than Demar uh, as a okay. field bunch sprinter. Uh, Gronewegen just... His race calendar was weird. I know he won that Tour de France stage, but that was it. That was his only World Tour win. And then he was really missing in a lot of other sprints, even though I think he was fast. I, I can't credit you for the hungry ones. And then I'm going Jakobsen second, Philipsen first. I think Philipsen won more Tour de France sprints than Jakobsen uh, mm-hmm. with probably a worse lead out. He won two UAE Tour stages, a couple of sta- dot pro stages here and there. For Jakobsen, I know he won more races, four more races, but I, I I don't care about Tour de Hungary, like two stages there. They don't count. And 
the Valenciana ones uh, were against no, like Avonapol, I think came seventh in one of them. Like, I don't care. Um, yep. And I'm going to count the Turkey ones for Philipson because there were good sprinters there. So, and it suits my narrative. So I'm going Philipson one, Jakobsen two, Cav three. Okay, but for your narrative, just to say, is is the Turkey sprints also the ones where he got beaten by Caleb Ewan twice, who we didn't put in the top three, or is that just outside of the narrative so we don't think about it? Yeah, well, Caden Groves <laughs> won one of them, and I obviously think he's really good. So Turkey does count for a lot, yes. Australians did well at Turkey, so um, <laughs> he had excuses. That. Yeah, I'll take that. Anyway, when it comes to my top three, it's actually... um. I'm going to put Arnaud Demar on the third spot. And the sole reason I do so is because you're lucky. Between France and like Andorra, there's mountains, so you're better protected. But if the French decide to invade Belgium, I'm completely done for. So I have to put Demar <laughs> on third just to protect my own identity and my own being. So that's why I put Demar in third. And to be honest, because he was also just strong at no, the Giro. He was better. In a... he was better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, next to that, I would argue that a rider that I don't have in my top three, but spoke about already, Olaf Goy, only 20 years old. He's destined to win World Tour stages next year. He's destined to win Giro stage if he's sent to it next year. If he had a proper lead out, that put him in the right position at UAE Tour. He would have won stages there. At Tirreno, he came really close with a limited lead out as well. He's destined to win multiple World Tour, Grand Tour stages in the next couple of years. And I'm saying that in the next three years, we're going to have an award show on this same podcast where Olaf Koy is one of the top two riders in this sprints discussion. That is destined to happen, considering he's only bloody 20 years old. Like, the guy's nearly five years younger than me. I'm, like, feeling old when I think about Olaf Koy, so that's sad. And what happens when you think about the age of Olaf Koy? Yeah. Almost uh, at, at 30 in a few years. Anyway. Uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, my top three... As I said, Demar in third, Fabio Jakobsen in second, and the reason I do so is because oh. only winning one Tour de France stage, he should have won more than one Tour de France stage, in my opinion. And I'd argue that his skill that Jasper Philipsen has, which I put in the first spot, by the way, Jasper Philipsen has the best sprinter of 2022. The reason I put Philipsen above Jakobsen is, while head-to-head, I'd argue that a Jakobsen could straight up still beat a Philipsen yeah. 50% of the time. It's the lead-up towards the sprints and the way that Jakobsen loses wheeling corners and is less... Oh, he doesn't want to go for the gaps that a Philipsen goes through. In UAE, we saw Philipsen go through gaps that literally did not exist on my screen and he appeared on the other side fully alive. So that should not happen. That's magic. And Philipsen is literally doing that in those sprints. And I'd argue he won two Tour de France stages, but if Ricard is here at top level, he wins four of them. And... That would have made this discussion very, very clear. And Wait, I'd argue that yeah. if Merku was at top level, it wouldn't necessarily have brought Jakobs into three to the front stage wins. How would Merku being there on stage three of the tour? He kind of was there. Jakobsen lost the wheel through the corner yeah. and got shuffled back into Narnia. Like Philipson <laughs> had with no and he didn't have Krieger for a lot of the stages either. Yeah. His leadouts were not great. Like I think Philipson, and that's you mentioned Tour de France. Sprinting is not just about straight line speed. If there's any technicality, if there's fatigue resistance across the three weeks, if there's getting over a ten kilometer five percent draggy climb on a miserable stage, Jasper Philipson is who I want yep. over Jakobsen. 
and not every sprint is pancake flat, you know, two watts per kilo for two hours beforehand, like in Hungary, where Jakobsen, you know, does really well. So, yeah, I'm going with Philipson. Uh, I think Philipson is the correct choice. I think next year if Rickard comes back, he could do some serious damage. And, you know, he just has that, like, yeah, luckily it hasn't happened too badly yet, but, like, Philipson takes some big risks, man. Like, he's Crazy. full threat of death. Uh, we'll do anything, and you kind of do need that for results as a sprinter too. <laughs> for certain. And let's talk about the other Alpecin sprinter that goes to quick step for a second. Merlier, not in this top three, not in my top five, arguably, but I'd still say he's one of the fastest sprinters if he's in a competitive position and so forth, or at least top five in like top speed. But he's going to quick step now. He's going to have a on paper better lead out if they can get their lead out going after. Merku might be replaced by a uh a Peters? No. Casper Peterson. Casper Peterson. I was like super confused for a second. I was gonna say Anderson, which is Casper Anderson, the guy that goes to UAE. So all these Casper Hans Christian Anderson. Stop stop it. All those names. <laughs> I can't handle it anymore. But um anyway, if they can get their lead out going, it wouldn't surprise me if next year we have the same discussion and Merlier's in the top three because he won so many races just because Quickstep got him on the rails again. Do you think that's impossible? I doubt it. Okay. Gaviria is better than Merlier. Fernando Gaviria, I would have signed. Not him. at Movistar. <laughs> yeah, well, but Merlier and Movistar, I don't think it'd be too crash shot either. Same bike, I guess. But yeah, Gaviria positioning, climbing, Grand Tours, fatigue, resistance. I would have signed him. Probably he wants too much money. But yeah, that's our top three for the sprinters. I think Kronovaken is the one who was really like consistently fast enough this year to like he beat Jakobsen yep. in Hungary. He um he's beaten these guys in a Tour de France stage. It just didn't go right enough. And I can't put that all on the lead out either. So maybe he's the guy who next year with Bike Exchange get it clicking. Um their signings don't really suggest that, but they got young guys like O'Brien who, you know, was a Neo Pro this year doing the lead out. So maybe he takes another step up. That was sprinters. Who was the best puncher of 2022? This is a real, really difficult one because there wasn't a dominant figure like an Alaphilippe who sweeps Liège and Flesh or wins Flesh and is second at Liège and then wins Worlds, punching away from everybody. We have sort of Wout van Aert, I think some incredible puncher performances, including the Tour de France uh, in the Calais stage. I mean, dropping the entirety of the Tour de France on that stage was pretty yeah. impressive. But was that positioning from the team? Yeah, how important is that? Kind of important. Alaphilippe had a down year. Cosner was kind of anonymous for a lot of... Ah, uh, that's not true. He lost Amstel in a photo. Uh, and then won Quebec. <laughs> and then, yeah, Amstel, he might have won. Yeah, Kwiatkowski won that but didn't do anything else. Uh, Turns did well in spring and then we didn't see him afterwards and he went to Israel after winning flesh and was the strongest probably in the last climb in Liège. And then Remco's a hard one. Pagacha wins on the sprint rather than punching. That's why it's tricky, Benji. Um, Who have you got outside your top three? Before I go there, I'd like to talk about Alaphilippe a bit because he was the reigning champion of the punchers back in the day, as in only last year still, with his wins at the Tour de France on stage one last year and so forth. This year, I'd argue that 
he was dealt a bad card when it comes to injuries throughout the entire year. You got to think about Strada Bianche early on, crashes, not competitive for that race anymore. Then we look at the likes of uh, a Tiron, Tireno. That's where he straight up isn't that the level necessary to do well on that Belante stage, for example, that Pogacar ends up winning that one with the consecutive hills where Pogacar rode away from Vingago in the last section of the last hill. But then we move towards the races that actually matter for him, and we talk about LBL, for example, crashes out in a descent. Then we look at later in the year, the Twitter France. He is not there because he had that crash in LBL, so we can't prove it in the Twitter France either. Then he rides the Vuelta, not in top form, crashes out again, preparation for the World Championships kind of ruined. So Philippe is not washed in my eyes at all. Next year, he's going to be back if he doesn't have these issues and can be the best puncher of 2023 again. I truly believe that. Yes, he's getting older, but I wouldn't write him off at all at the moment, Julian Philippe. That being said, I do think he should probably leave quick step after this contract and rack in money while Evenepoel is probably going to take the lead in to the France races from 2024 onwards at quick step. But that discussion aside... Alaphilippe's not gone for me, but he's not in the top three here because simply he wasn't able to prove it because of injuries, recurring injuries, and wasn't necessarily in the form in races that weren't big goals to take a third spot in this. Then you mentioned the Cosnefois. He's one of the riders that is fighting for that third spot for me, together with the likes of a Dylan Turns. And I'm mentioning these pure punchers, Cosnefois and Turns, because these are not GC riders that can also do these punchy things. A Pogacar and an Evenepoel are those two riders. And when we look at Tale Pogacar, winning Montreal, Lombardia, Strada Bianche, the Belante stage at Tireno, those are punchy type races. He did also win a few of those with punchy skills, as in punching on the hills or punching in the final sprint. That final kick was very strong this year for Pogacar. He arguably has a sprint, a proper sprint. When it comes to Remco Evenepoel, wins Liège-Bastogne-Liège and the World Championships and San Sebastian. San Sebastian being more climby than punchy in my personal opinion. But when it comes to LBL and World Championships, punches away at the top of La Redoute, the climb where he ends up going away and keeps that lead towards the line. That's not the usual puncher strategy. A puncher strategy is usually that you're able to punch hard on the climb and you beat them on the climb. He beats them on like the top part where it starts going into the flat mode that he can start time trawling on. So it's weird, huh? Because Evenepoel does great at these puncher races, but doesn't necessarily have, have the kick of a puncher. Or do you disagree with that? I think he did show that he had that this year. Um, he didn't do flesh, I don't think. He did, uh, he did so but he, he was he not did. used properly by Quickstep. And they did. They went for Alaphilippe at the end, if I recall correctly. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was pointless. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Alaphilippe still came fourth. But I think it's Avonapol. He's my number one. Because the other contender for number one, I think, you know, Pagacha, is when did he win a race with an uphill punch either? Like, are you going to count Super Planche de Belfi or Perigude? I guess you can. His punch at the end of long climbs was good. But in terms of being an overall puncher, his win in Lombardia was like on the Chivilio being able to stay with Mars, win the sprint. His win on Montreal, stay with Adam Yates, win the sprint. So you can't give it to Pogaccia and then say, well, Avonapol didn't win by winning on an uphill punch when he's winning puncher races. And I do think his punch was quite good. Like, 
in uh, Tour of Norway, he beat, I know it's Norway, but he beat Johannesson, who's pretty fast. He beat Ethan terrible- Hayter. Pardon? Johannesson was in a terrible position that day, though. we got to mention that small detail. Uh, well, Eamon Paul took a piss with 12 days to go and came <laughs> back. Hayter was there, so... You know, he was in, he made his own position. You make your own luck. So, and it suits my narrative. So, I'm going, uh, there was the Belante stage, Pog. Yeah, that one's pretty good for Pog in Torreno. Um, I'm still going with Avon You can't win Liege world champs on that sort of course and a few other things here and there, like Norway, etc., cetera, um, on punchy finishes and not get it. Particularly when Pagacha, Strade, downhill sort of sprint, uh, and the others were flat sprints too. I'm I'm just giving it to Avonpole because the races were were bigger, but it's close. Um, I think third, I'm giving to Dylan Turns. I'm going to go with a pure puncher for that winner of flesh. I think on Rochefoucauld, he or whatever the last climb was. Um, in Liège, he was dropping people, and with a different yep. team, maybe he could have won that race. Um, yep. And so, yeah, he's my third pick. Honourable mentions are Cosnefroy and Valverde, who was consistent, but at no point was Valverde ever really gapping people on anything this year. Um, so he was just top, you know, second to sixth in a lot of these big races. Firmly agree. I agree with your top three, but I don't have the same one. I believe that I understand every single one of your arguments. I see how you would put an Amco Evenepoel above a Pogacar, for example, but I didn't do it. I've got Pogacar in first and Evenepoel in second, and the reason I do so is because I still believe that extra kick that Pogacar has is valuable for me when it comes to the puncher discussion, and that puts him a bit above Evenepoel, despite me agreeing with you that LBL and World Championships are more important than the combination of Montreal, Lombardia, Australia, and the Belanta stage at Tireno, for example. So I think it's just really close, those two. And I find it really hard to put them against each other in this in this discussion, but I'm going to go for Pogacar above Evenepoel because I believe he's the fastest man on an uphill sprint, basically, if uh, a Van der Poel and a Wout van Aert have already spent a bit of their bickies throughout the parkour as well. And even then, a Pogacar can still beat them on an uphill sprint this year. Like, the only situation where that narrative doesn't make sense, and I'll say it despite not including it in my narrative because it doesn't fit my narrative, <laughs> is that Tour de France stage where uh, Wout van Aert beat Pogacar on the uphill in the last sprint uh, in the oh, stage. Oh, uh, yeah, to Lausanne stage eight, yeah. and Blink came second. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get... Like, Pog's record is undeniable. It's just... It's really a definitional definitional thing. Yeah. Like, Alante is clearly punch. What about Jabel Jace? It's a long climb, but it's a group yeah. of 20. It's kind of still punch, like, to yeah. win that stage. Tour of Flanders, he was the strongest on the uphill. Does he get credit for that? Probably, yeah. So, physically, in terms of actual uphill punch, yeah, like, Pog, I would take over even a pole. In a succession of punchy climbs, who do I think might come out best in a race? I think we saw in World Champs, and uh, I don't know if Pog did Liège. can't remember. I think he pulled out. Um, Avonapol yep. then takes more of an edge, and it's it's not like he's a scrub uphill anymore either, Avonapol. He is quite punchy. So it's close. 
Um, and turns third, I guess, is just an honorable. If you win flesh, you have to go in the top three. It's somewhat shocking that we don't mention two riders that we would have mentioned in the discussion a lot of the times, and that's a Primoz Roglic and a Mathieu van der Poel, who are both really good punchers, but didn't necessarily have success on punchy races to provide themselves a word in this discussion. Yes, Van der Poel did great at the RVV, which is a combination of both punching and cobble classics, which could give him an argument here, but uh, I, I'd like to see him in like more hill classics and more uphill sprints and so forth. Yes, against the Binyam was very fun at the start of the Giro and probably could have gotten both of them in this discussion, but they're not in my top three, I'm afraid. And Roglic just not... Uh, he didn't have enough races to do it at this year puncher races to prove it at this year despite me thinking that he's one of the best buying punchers in the world he didn't necessarily show it in 2022 except for that one stage at the tour de france right velta velta tour de france velta. uh he beat mass stage four of the Vuelta. i think uh that was crazy uh, uh what was it called anyway uh, La Garvia, I think, crazy uphill sprint beating Pedersen by lengths and lengths. Mars was good in the second half of the year, Emilia and Lombardia, but even the Vuelta too, but just missing probably a little bit of that snap and he can't sprint to save his life. So they were the best they were the best punchers. Um best cobblers now in twenty twenty two. Now I'm checking with the Belgian resident Belgian or resident Flem, uh, Vlaams. Strade doesn't count for cobbles, Benji. Is that correct? I would argue that Strade is a combination of like eighty percent puncher, twenty <laughs> percent. Yes or no question? <laughs> no, it's eighty percent. Like when we're playing pro cycling manager as a video game, we also say like, how much does the cobble stat work on this parkour? I'll say eighty percent hills puncher and twenty percent cobbles is Strade. Okay. Okay, so it's not because <laughs> <laughs> which races even count for this? We got the cobble classics that we, you know, Omloop, Kerner, E3, Gent Wevelhem, Toise de Vlaanderen, Ronde van Vlaanderen, Paris Roubaix. Are we counting a shell de Prace? Tour de France cobble, cobble stage. Are we counting a shell de Prace or any of the hundred other ones? Or we're, nah, no, we're well, too early. Okay. Burn them all. And Strade, if it suits what you want to say, which it will in my case, then okay. it can count. All right, that works Deal. for me. <laughs> the contenders are for this. It's a difficult one. Wout he won E3 in Omloop uh, at a canter. RVV, he had COVID. Roubaix, he was arguably the strongest and got worked over by Team Tactics and uh, Ineos being incredible. So and his rear wheel collapsed. Vanderpool had a remember the back issues. He had a very light preparation. MSR doesn't count, but he did MSR Setimana, and then all he did was Duas Dur and RVV Paru Bay. He won Duas Dur and RVV. Van Baal won Roubaix and came second in Flanders. Uh, Pagacha came fourth in. Uh, Flanders, 10th in Dwar's Dour. He was good in the cobble stage, good in Strade. And Laporte was sort of there and didn't win Kerner in the end. He was close to winning Kerner, second in E3. Kung was always like top 10 in just about everything. They're the main... Am I missing anyone? Binion won Kent Vabelhem, but then they, he didn't do RVV, right? He went home. Yeah, he went home. 
Correct. Now, when I look at like this list, I'd, I'd argue there's a lot of riders that are like the outsiders and so forth. But one theme that I have that we can notice when talking about Van Baal, Van der Poel, Van Aert, Pogacar, Laporte, Kung, and so forth, not a single quick step rider in there. Kasper Asgreen not, not in this list. Lampard is not in this list. Both had good moments in the season, but quick step was just slaughtered by injuries and COVID throughout Algarve with Asgreen and so forth. I think Stibar and Lampard had to DNF from Paranese because they were ill. The Clerk was out for the majority until Duarte Vlader and then came back and was not at the top level yet during Ronde van Vlaanderen to be really representative. So I think Quickstep had a really bad cobble season, but a large part of that is also the factor that they had injuries, they had illnesses and so forth. And next to that, they also have to fight against better teams in that sense. Because when you look at Quickstep, they were always trying to win using their team advantage in previous years. Numerical advantage over their competitors. And they could do that because Obama Fanat and Vanderpool were solo in their team. They had barely any support at Alpecin and Yumbo. And we see that Yumbo has built support around Wout Fanat, that Vanderpool is building support with Søren Kroh Andersen and so forth in 2023. You think that this is going to make Quick Steps fighting for the classics even harder in 2023 that these two other formations can also work with numerical advantage and Ineos doing the same in some other races or do you think that Quicksteps reign is over at the cobbles? Uh, I think it is unless they send Avenapol to the races they kind of need the trio of Asgren, Avenapol, Alaphilippe uh, otherwise they're a bit light on unless one of the younger guys like Stan van Tricht who I like or Mara Schmidt, who I also think is really good, unless they step up in a big, big way. Who was the one that kept making groups in the last half of the season, Benji? Was it Schmidt? In like Worlds? Um, and Possibly. Yeah, Mara yeah. Schmidt did it Worlds. Schmidt um, is your pick. So the they have to step up. Otherwise, because Stebar's out the door, Lampard, Seneschal don't really seem to be moving the needle in the All same way as like, I don't know. The Yumbo and, and Ineos squads are stronger and Pagash is strong too. It's I think they have to send over to Poland Athlete for the classics. Uh but my top three I'm going with I'm really I'm really flexible on this because to be honest, Ineos probably had the best classic season of a team, but they shared it around a little bit. Um but in terms of an individual I'm going with Vanderpool as the best classics rider for winning RVV and Duas Dur. Now, I shit on Duas Dur all the time, but I know he was really strong in that race and there were some good guys in that race. And then RVV, he played it well, matched Pog and then won the sprint easily. Um, Roubaix, he wasn't as strong. Van Aert, I have third and I have Pog second as the best cobbler. I think Pog is... I think Pog on the Coles is a god. And if he'd done Roubaix this year, I think he would have been up there in Group 1, no problem. So, And Strata he won. So that suits my narrative. So that counts. Um, and he was one of the only other people that gained time in the Cobble stage in the Tour. So, well, unlucky there maybe because he got COVID and couldn't do RVV. How would he have gone there? Maybe he loses to Vanderpool and Pagatcha and then it's even more clear cut. Um, I don't know. So... But yeah, that's my list, Vanderpool, Pagatcha, Van Aert. Okay, that's a, a pretty damn strong list, but 
I'm seeing no Dylan Van Barle in that top three. And that's the rider I do have in my top three. I feel like he was arguably, if we look at the most important cobble classics, which is Roubaix and RVV, the most successful in the results. But he didn't necessarily do it on the cobbles. Like, we're talking about best cobbler here, but he, he is most successful in the cobble races, not necessarily doing it on the cobbles, as in he anticipated twice. In RVV, he got up... Uh, Ahead in the road with Fred Wright, if I recall correctly, before the hills, benefited from that and got into a situation where he was ahead of the favorites when they made their move. Maduas, Van der Poel and Pogacar on the Koppenberg, where they bridged up towards Fred Wright and also Van Barle. And then they got dropped and then they came back because Pogacar was choking the sprint at the front. But I'd argue at Roubaix, he's still in that situation in that group and he benefits from the fact that he's got... Ben Turner clock in that group and that dynamic is able to outplay the likes of Wout Fanard and a Vanderpool who wasn't that amazing in the first place at that point in the race. So Van Barle is great tactically and I would argue I would put him as a consequence of being the most successful one but not necessarily the best on the cobbles on the third spot because he deserves to be mentioned here. I have a very hard time with the other three as in Van der Poel, Van Aert and Pogacar, I don't have Pogacar in my top three. Despite believing that, yes, he was the strongest cobbler in that classic stage at the Tour de France, but a Van Aert and a Van der Poel are not able to go free in that stage. Van der Poel was obviously also not in the best condition, I would argue there. Van Aert was half locked to Vingegaard. Towards the end of the race, it was clear that he was locked to Vingegaard, but at the start of the race, it wasn't clear yet because he was hanging about at the back of the peloton for quite a while alone. Now, I would say that if Van Aert can go free there, he's there with a Pogacar and he fights with uh, them to try and get the riders ahead back and so forth. Now, when it comes to the classics, Omlop and E3, Wout Van Aert was one of the strongest riders. But I do believe that the team strength about around Van Aert helped him a lot in these situations, being able to launch on the time bag with Jumbo Visma doing the same in... I think Omlop on, oh Jesus Christ, on one of the hills. I think it was the Berendries or something where they went with their team attack to get away. Daniels tried to benefit from that. And eventually he rode away before the Bosberg, not necessarily in a cobble stretch, was strong on the Muir van Gerardsbergen though. I'm going to put Wout van Aert in second and Van der Poel in first because I believe that Van der Poel has to do so much stuff alone. His team is not the strongest on the cobbles and he has to react to a lot of stuff. He got... Outplayed at Roubaix significantly, but I think at RVV he was the strongest to get with Pogacar and gets that monument delivery as well. I'm actually not certain about my podium here if that's the right order. I have to think about it, and every day I would change my mind. But for today, I'm going to go with Vanderpool in first, Wout van Aert in second, and Van Bala in third. Pogacar close fourth, hoping that he also does a Roubaix in the future after he won a few more Tour de France and so forth. But that's my top three. Do you think I'm wrong? Well, obviously, because you took a different top three. Well, like I'm probably, Pagacha's Palmares in this category this year is light for me to be mm-hmm. putting him second. Um, it's hard when you look at the Palmares to say, well, how can you have Vanderpool? How can you have Vanderpool ahead of Van Baal, who's not even a top three? Van, Van Baal has a win in a monument and a podium in another one. I would just say, the finish of RVV 
it was clearly Pogaccio, you know, he just stuffed that finish yeah. in terms of best or strongest in RVV. Pogaccio was a beast on that race. Um, I would have, and I discount Van Baal a little bit because of the system. I'd say a slightly, like he, he did it in World Champs last year too when he wasn't on Ineos, when he arrived for the Dutch team. So, But uh, the system at Ineos did help him. Uh, Stefan Kung, I think, physically stronger across all the classics than Van Baal this year. Kung um, across did more of them, Probably. more top tens, um, but just not on Ineos, obviously. So, yeah, I think I just think if you had to pick one on his day for a Cobble Classic to win it with tactics could be open race, closed race, whatever. Right now, I would still take Mathieu van der Poel as my number one cobbler in the world. I think wet conditions, dry conditions, that's who I would take if you can guarantee that his back is functioning. I'm saying that Ralph Finard wins this Best Cobbler Awards if he doesn't have COVID over RVV, but that's my take. I reckon they, I reckon Pog drops him like Asgren and Van der Poel drops him, dropped him last year. Um, Intriguing. I think Very Pog was... Pog was flying, man. He was scary in RVV. I hope yeah. he does it again this next year. I think next year, hopefully, I mean, Avonapol will do it. Hopefully, we have more stacked classics throughout all of them, more people doing E3, but it's difficult. If it's a long stretch, remember, from 28 February to Paru Bay, six, seven, eight weeks later. Um, but yeah, they were our awards. Perhaps got more controversial at the end for Puncher, Cobbler, Lead Out, and Sprinter. Hope you uh, enjoyed part one. Let us know. Why are we wrong? Have you done a 1500 word detailed analysis of why um, Stan Van Tricht or Dan McClay or Tom DeVrint? Is Tom DeVrint actually the best Cobbler in the world in 2022? I'm open to that argument, actually. Got himself a contract apparently elsewhere. So, where all is. But thanks as always for listening. Uh, I've got a flight on Tuesday. Don't know what Benji's movements are, but we'll see you with part two later next week. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 